When I was about, uh, when I was about 10, 9 or 10, I remember I, uh, I like comic books. Any guys grow up with uh, uh, reading comic books? And my favorite, I was an Aquaman guy, all right? And I, for many years, belabored over the fact that there wasn't a good Aquaman movie until the last few years they, they made one. But I was an Aquaman guy, and I remember in, the, in these comics, you know, they would have these ads in the back of the comic book. And I remember they would have these x-ray glasses. You could see through things, you know, and they were like, Nine ninety-five, you know, whatever, like you know. And I remember the one thing that I really got into was an advertisement, and it was something like fifteen ninety-five. I don't think it was more nineteen ninety-five. That would have been a lot of money back, you know, in the early seventies for something like this. But it was a, and they had two different ones. You could get a submarine that a little guy could fit into, or a like an army tank. And the, the drawing showed some little kids sitting there, and it was like something you could get and, and ride around in, or a submarine, you know, if you could submerge it in your neighbor's pool, or whatever it was. And you could get your own personalized submarine for $19.95. And I hounded my dad until I think finally he just got tired and went ahead and, you know, back in that day, you sent a check, right? You didn't call a number and you sent a check or whatever. And I was so excited at getting the submarine. I was thinking, I knew a kid on the block, this is South Texas. So like Florida, we had some neighbors that had pools. We couldn't afford a pool. We didn't have a pool. Uh, we had a hose and a, and a, and a what was that, that thing you'd put on, wiggly thing or whatever. That was our entertainment. But I thought, man, I can't wait. My neighbor, would he let me get and submerge? I mean, you're talking about an eight-year-old kid is going to get a real submarine and submerge it. Like, I mean, the logic of it, I admit, is crazy, but, you know, my brain is still forming at eight years old. And I was so excited. I couldn't wait. I knew it was on. I would just daydream about this submarine. And one day, I was home from school sick, and a package was delivered to uh, the house by the postman. And the package was about three feet long and about two inches thick. And I opened it up, and my submarine was nothing but a corrugated cardboard. The electronic control board was a light bulb with a wire that you attach to a battery, and the the submarine, the cardboard was attached by those, you know, those tack things that you bend on the ends to hold it together. I don't think I opened that thing all the way, and I was just like, this is garbage. This is tra I was so disappointed. Now, that seems kind of silly now, but disappointment, I've had, like you, I've had a lot, lot more dramatic and worse disappointments in life than a cardboard submarine for 19.95 ordered out of the back of a comic book. D disappointments are uh, a part of life. They're a part of our life. They're a part of living. We're going to be disappointed with something. And this morning, I want us to talk about, and the title of the message this morning is dealing with life's disappointments. And we're going to look 
at a snapshot from Moses in Exodus chapter 15. If you want to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. And how do we deal with disappointment? Because we are either, uh, I mean, it just goes without saying. We're either disappointed, going to be disappointed, coming out of a disappointment. And then there's all various levels of those disappointments of life. But as a Christian, how do we navigate and deal with life's disappointments? Moses, I mean, if there is the king of dealing with disappointments and uh, situations, Moses certainly would be at the top of the list in many ways. And so as we still are kind of making our way into the new year, some things that I just like to share uh, pastorally, and this morning I just thought, you know, 2022, for many, you had disappointments. You had some grand disappointments, you had some little disappointments, but there may have been some things in your life, your family, finances, job that uh, you're still dealing with. They were major, major letdowns, and this morning I hope that and pray that we'll draw encouragement from the Word of the Lord. Moses was an authority on how to deal with disappointments. And it seemed like as Moses dealt with the Israelites, one of their favorite pastimes was complaining. You ever know people like that? That their hobby is complaining? You're around them for five minutes and they're always complaining or griping about something. And they were very quick to criticize Moses' leadership they criticized and questioned his motives, doubted his decisions, challenged his leadership. And one of the things that we see as those Israelites were miraculously delivered out of Egypt, crossing over the Red Sea, one of the things that the Israelites, as they entered into that 40 years in the wilderness or a desert, that was a continual struggle and a problem, was, it was always, they were always having a problem with water. You need water to live. And if you're in a desert, that's a problem. Or you're in a wilderness or a dry, barren area, you need water. You're not going to survive very long with water, without water. Now, the Red Sea, they had too much water, right? They had too much water. Uh, then there wasn't enough water in the desert. And then they come to this place in Genesis 15 where they find some water, but it's bitter water. You ever drank something and immediately your mouth just reacted with how horrible, what in the world? Sometimes my wife, who does not like coffee, I understand, that's a, that's a character flaw in her life, but, but she will sometimes mistake her glass for my glass and take a swig thinking it's iced tea when it's coffee in her face. I wish I could capture that, but she does not like that. And I assume it was this kind of face that they had when they tried to drink this water. Look with me in Exodus 15, verse 22, and we'll read verse 22 and 23. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea... Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now, they're only three days out from the crossing of the Red Sea. Now, when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, 
for they were what? They were bitter. Therefore, the name of it is called Merah. This is not a little insignificant problem. This is a big deal. You've got three million thirsty people and millions of thirsty animals. It's a problem. You need water or you're going to have big problems immediately. But remember what happened just three days prior. They had crossed over the Red Sea. They had, they had, over, they had, uh, over, had this tremendous spiritual victory. And this morning I want us to kind of let that segue into the first point of this morning's message on dealing with disappointments. They came out of this great victory, but notice number one is that great successes in life are often followed by failure. Great successes in our life are often followed by failure. Here they are. God delivered them, and they're wondering, what is going on? Why did God lead them to Merah? It says, verse 25, So he, Moses, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and when he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he, capital H, God, it was there at Merah that that was a test given to them by God. God showed his power at the Red Sea, but at Merah, where the water was bitter, he showed what they were really like. There was still, you know, one of the things that that wilderness did is there was still a lot of stuff that had to be worked out in their life and worked uh, and, and, and tested in their life. And so the Lord says that he did it. He brought them to that place of bitter water, and it was because he tested them. Do you realize that often disappointments are tests in our life? When disappointments and setbacks come into our life, they're testing our character. Notice it doesn't say this uh, about the Red Sea experience, but it says at Merah, uh, the Israelites failed the test. How did they fail the test? It was because at Merah, verse 24, they griped, they complained. And they said to Moses, what are we going to drink? You know, disappointments reveal often a lot about us, don't they? What is your Mara this morning? Your Mara is that which has become distasteful in your life. That which has become bitter in your life. It's the thing that once was sweet to you, but it's turned bitter. It's a Mara. It may be a test, a job, a relationship, a problem. And here they are, great victory, but what will we find with the great victory is that God followed this great victory with a test. The Red Sea demonstrated what, who God was like, and guess what? Mara's revealing what they're like. You see, disappointments reveal what is lacking and where we're at in our life by uh, where we complain and what we gripe and question God about. So we see that great successes in life 
are sometimes followed by failures. And then we thank God, what are you doing? What, you know, you, you brought me through this great, great experience, this great situation. You delivered uh, me out of this mess. You met a tremendous financial need. So everything should just be rolling along beautiful. And then all of a sudden you come to a place and you're like, wait, God must not love me. God must not care about me. He would have not brought me to a place of bitter waters. What is going on? And so we see, secondly, not only are great successes in life followed by failure, but great services in life are often followed by forgetfulness. It says, verse 24 again from the New Living Translation, Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are, you go- what are we going to drink, they demanded. I mean, they have a short memory of what they just experienced don't we? We do the same thing. We have a short memory of something that God has done in our life, and we encounter a situation. We encounter a setback. We encounter encounter a disappointment. We encounter something that has become bitter to the taste, and what do we do? We gripe and complain, and we forget, great is thy faithfulness. All that I have needed, the great hymn says, thy hand has what? provided. Great is thy faithfulness. I think of the other hymn uh, whose name just went out of my head, but it's the line from the hymn where it says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're prone to do that, aren't we? And God knows that. Israel's got a short memory. Three days earlier, they had crossed over in this great victory. And what, how typical that is for us to forget what God has done in our lives. But they're complaining, they're griping. And human nature, folks, if you haven't learned this by now, you, something's wrong because you're going to... You, you, listen, human nature is that people often forget the good things that you do in their life. You know why? Because we often forget the good things they've done in our life and what God has done in our life. It's human nature. Children forget all the blessings their parents have given them. <laughs> Are any of your children here? I don't think so. You, could, you can get away with that. Bosses forget the good things that you do as an employee. Spouses take each other for granted and forget the good things. So... That's the reality of life. And so what do you do? Here's where we want to kind of get to the heart of the message this morning. Is what do you do? If this is the reality and this is the truth. And that these disappointments lead to this forgetfulness. What do we do? If that is a reality of that I'm walking and living in, in, in this disappointment of my life. Something that was a, was a tremendous discouragement this past year. This past week. Whatever it is. What do we do? I want to share with you five things here, and I encourage you to make a note or two. You might let God speak to you through the Word this morning. Don't be a passive listener. Be engaged. Write something down. Make a jot a word down or something. What do you do? Number one, don't curse it. Don't curse it. Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The New Living Translation says, Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. 
You see, when you begin to curse the situation, and I'm not talking about saying four-letter words. That may be part of your you know, mantra, but, but I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about cursing the situation where you are going to take the situation, you're going to put it in your hands instead of doing what the Word says. What does it say? Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Let me tell you something. That's hard. When somebody's tremendously disappointed you, let you down, and here's the worst part. They don't even realize it yet. I mean, you want them to at least grovel a little bit and even, you know, feel guilty, but they don't even do that. And what, do we, what does the Word say? Pray, number one, pray. Put it in God's hands. Pray that God will do what? Rain, fire, and, you know, come down. You know, it was like John and his brother James, you know, when the Samaritans weren't real responsive and they told Jesus, hey, you want us to go over there and rain down fire on them and destroy them, right? Those are the two guys that wanted to sit on the right and left side of Jesus. How would you like those guys determining your fate, right? That wouldn't be good, right? Pray to bless them? Boy, that's tough. I've said this before and recommended R.T. Kendall's book called Total Forgiveness. And this great man of God, R.T. Kendall, talks about some various situations in his life that he struggled with forgiveness. And God spoke to him and said, if you really want to overcome this lack of forgiveness and this bitter root that you've developed in this situation, and if you asked him, he would have said, I'm fine, I've forgiven them, it's no big deal. Sometimes the Lord has to dig down in there and say, no, you're still, you're still angry. You're still bitter. You're still unforgiving. And the Lord told him, said, if you really want to overcome this and be healed of this, start blessing that person. And he was like, well, get behind me, Satan. I know that's not God, right? Bless somebody. Well, what does it say? Uh, verse 14 in the... Uh, King James, New King James, bless those who persecute you, those who do you wrong. That is not what we want to hear. That was not the mindset. But Jesus, what? Jesus presents an upside-down kingdom. In the kingdom of God, up is down and down is up. The kingdom of God that Jesus has brought and proclaimed is the very opposite of what our tendency in human nature is here to do. And Jesus said, it's not an eye for eye. You bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. And then when we say pray that God, what are we doing? We're taking whatever that is and we're saying, God, if I get involved in this situation, I'm going to make it worse. And some of us have. Some of us have. Instead of saying, and, and the, you know, guess what? I've learned the Lord will let you do stupid things. Have you learned that? He will let you do things that are not going to be helpful to your situation. Why? So you go back and say, all right, Lord, I should have listened to you the first time. And so the first thing is pray, put it in God's hands, and release it and let God deal with this situation instead of doing what? Instead of cursing it and getting myself involved and myself all worked out and wanting 
to retaliate, say, God, I want you to represent me in this situation. I want to put this situation, these people, into your hands. I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to find ways that I can be a blessing into their life. Jesus said in Matthew 5.44, I alluded to it, and right above it in verse 43, it's not on there, but he said, you'd heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The eye for eye. Well, they did me bad, and guess what? I'm not going to let them get away with it. But I say to you, Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Quit fantasizing about letting the air out of their tires. Or, or signing them up to 50,000 subscriptions or something. On, you, know, you know, it's amazing. Now, don't look so holy and pious, folks. Stop it. It's amazing how creative our sinful hearts can be when somebody hurts us. Right? I just revealed two of my favorites to you. <laughs> so if you start getting eight subscriptions to Vibe magazine, you know you did me wrong. All right. Jesus said, do good to those who hate you. Not those who just, no, those who hate you and pray for those, ooh, here it is, who spitefully use you, take advantage of you. That's what Jesus said. He said, don't curse it. Secondly, don't rehearse it. Don't curse it. Don't rehearse it. Job 5.2 says, Surely resentment destroys the fool, and jealousy kills the simple. Ephesians 4.31, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Have you noticed that when you start to review and rehearse the hurt, the pain? <laughs> Have you found that it gets bigger and bigger the more you revisit that yes. and nurse it? You, 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 re you revisit it, you rehearse it, and the situation, and if you were to convey it to somebody, uh, you've just kind of added a few little extra information and details that didn't necessarily happen but it just kind of makes the story worse for them and makes you look better. Because you're just, you're just rehearsing it. And the more you think about it, the more you play it over in your mind, it's on this loop. You ever have something on a loop, a, a song you like, you just put it where it plays it over and over again, and you just start looping it around, and the more it loops, it gets blown out of proportion, and you're disappointed with somebody, and you just rehearse it, and it becomes almost to some people... And here's the crazy thing, is that you can be a born-again Christian and still be struggling with what I'm saying. I'm not talking about heaven and hell issues here. I'm really talking to believers. And you know what? It becomes an addiction. Bitterness can become an addiction. Because you have tied your identity 
so around what this person did or this situation, it has become your identity. You can't exist. It's like your teddy bear. You can't exist. And can imagine what life would be like because it's become so much a part of your life and rehearsing it. Thirdly, don't nurse it. Don't curse it. Don't rehearse it. And this kind of ties in, don't rehearse it. You see, when you internalize, when you internalize an offense, well, I've been offended. I have. And you have. And I'm sure I've offended you. And I'm sure you've offended me at some point. That's life. Welcome to life. Right? Is that not the way? I mean, we all can be offended. We have an entire culture that is offended about something. But when you are offended, somebody has greatly disappointed, and I don't in any way minimize what they've done and trivialize that. But when you internalize it, you know what you do? You take in and that your spirit your inner man, your, your, your heart becomes poisoned with this stuff. And it becomes a part of your personality. It becomes a part of your identity, and you don't even realize it much anymore. Until somebody, in some situation, at the church covered dish dinner where you've put on your church makeup pretty heavy that day. And what do they do? They trip over that little wire, did something, didn't agree, did whatever. And guess what? They yank that wire and an explosion of anger and bitterness. And all of a sudden now, you're not going to come back to that church. Bunch of phony hypocrites. I never liked them anyway. You know I'm telling you the truth. I've been here going on nine years. It's been in every church I've ever been a part of. Because it's human nature. It's undealt sin. This is the sanctifying work of grace. We like doing all the fun stuff, but this inner work of grace and sanctification, that's, that's the stuff that is the most messy and the most difficult, don't nurse it. Don't have a pity party where you invite your three best friends, me, myself, and I. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. And don't sin by letting, your, letting anger control you. People say, well, I just can't control my mouth. Yes, you can when a Polk County Sheriff stops you for speeding, I bet you you can control your mouth. I bet you can control your mouth. I bet you can control your emotions. Now, you may not like it, but if you're breaking the law, that's your fault. That's my fault. But you can control what you want to control. 
He says, don't sin by letting anger control you. That tells me that anger has the ability to control. Don't let the sun go down. Don't go to bed while you are still angry. Guess what? You're going to wake up angry. You're going to dream about being angry. And you get, it says, don't go to bed being angry. And here's the thing that happens for anger. Look at this. For anger. Now, there's a right place for anger. The millions of abortions that go on in our country, that's, that's something to be angry about. Unrighteousness. I mean, God, the Bible says that God is angry. Jesus showed anger not too long back at the, uh, when he walked into the temple and overturned the tables, and there was a righteous anger. It was anger. You can be anger. Anger is a part of the way God has designed us and wired us. I'm talking about an anger that's rooted in sinful, selfish, retributive type of emotions. I'm not talking about a, a righteous anger. We sometimes like to paint self-righteousness on it to justify it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about... An anger that is controlling, that leads to sinful and poisoned hearts. But he says, for anger, look at this, gives a foothold to the devil. Gives him a place. You know what I thought of when I saw that foothold? You don't have this too much today, because people don't open the door to door-to-door salesmen, or door-to-door witnessing, or whatever, but... uh, You've seen sometimes a door-to-door salesman, he's selling fuller brushes or vacuums. I know that's like, you're like, what in the world? Uh, But they'd be talking if they could just get their foot in the door, and they're trying to shut it, but they get their foot in the door, they might be able to get that other foot in the door, and before long, they're in there, and they're making their sale. They want to get that foot in the door to just wedge where you can't shut it. And that's what happens when we allow sinful, bitter anger that, res- that is rooted in disappointment, and we begin to nurse it, we begin to nurture it. And it, by, the Bible says it gives the devil a foothold. As I said earlier, I'm not minimizing that many of you have truly been victims of sinful actions and hurts done by other people. But I would not be <laughs> I would not be up here if I didn't believe that there was not any hurt, any pain, any action that was too big for God to heal in our life. Does that mean the memory gets erased? No. But we live in a day in which The word victim is so much a part of our vocabulary. And I don't want to minimize the real victimization. But as I said earlier, God does not want you to tie your identity to victimhood. To being a victim. He wants you to experience the transforming power of the Spirit of God that can take you from a victim to a victor in your life. That, if that is not the very heart and root of the work of the gospel, we talk about sanctification. Sanctification is just a fancy word of applying justification, applying the work of the gospel into our daily life. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul doing this? And listen, 
Paul had a lot of good reasons to have some bitterness because of disappointment. Look in your Bibles or on the screen, it'll be there, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4 is the last book that we have written by the Apostle Paul. And these are some of the last words that are recorded that we have of Paul. And listen to what he says, beginning at verse 9. He tells Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has, what? Forsaken me. Having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens, he's left me for Galatia. Titus for Dalmatia. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord, not me, or may the Lord repay him according to his works. I've put it in God's hands. You must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but what does it say? But all they all went AWOL. They all abandoned me. Paul, the apostle, what is he saying? No one, no one. All these people I've served and helped, he's got, here he is in Rome when he wrote this letter, and he's got to, earlier he wrote, and he would have to tell Timothy to bring him a jacket, bring him his coat. And there were believers in Rome. Paul is alone. Paul is forsaken. And yet he says, may it not be charged against them. And I love verse 17. In spite of all this rejection, he says, verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. One of the marks of leadership, one of the marks of leadership I'm talking about in the church is that you will be criticized. And sometimes you will not be popular. And I remember listening to an old pastor tell a group of young pastors, and this isn't just applicable to pastoring, but it seems true about church leadership. He was telling these young ministers, if you want to be liked, don't go in the ministry. Go sell ice cream. Because everybody will love you. But don't go in the ministry. That's the worst thing to do. Go sell ice cream. If you want to be loved... Sell ice cream. Can you imagine Jesus? Imagine Jesus going back to heaven ahead of schedule and the angels saying, what happened, Lord? How come you're here so early? And Jesus says, well, that earth thing was a really bad experience. Some people really let me down. I, was, I couldn't believe how criticized I was. Nobody liked me. They didn't appreciate what I came to do. He came unto his own, John 1 says, and his own what? Received him not. Didn't want anything to do with him. That's why he is our great high priest that can sympathize with all of our weaknesses, heartbreaks, disappointments. Is there anybody who's been suffered greater disappointment and heartache? You see, trying to please everybody, you're just asking for hurt. And there's some people, their personality is they want to please everybody all the time. And some of you wrap yourself up in a pretzel because you, you're frustrated because you want everybody to be happy. 
And if somebody's not happy, it just makes you miserable. So as soon as you get crowd A happy, guess what? Crowd B, they don't like it. And then you run over and get crowd B, and guess what? Crowd A, now you've lost them. And you're just, you're just worn out. You go from a hero to a zero. You see, the greatest services, the greatest serving in our life is often followed by forgetfulness. People don't always remember all that you do, all that you've sacrificed. But So if, what do you do? You don't curse it? You don't nurse it? What do you do? Number four is, and we see this back with Moses, you disperse it. Back in Moses in Exodus chapter 15, this is exactly what Moses did. Look at verse 25. So Moses cried out to the Lord. What did he do? He cried out to the Lord. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast all your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. 1 Peter 5, 7, the New Testament version of that, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Moses, it says, verse 25, cried out to the Lord. He didn't go on Facebook and start denouncing all these people that heard him. He didn't even say, I'm upset. He didn't start a little chain of gossip in the, the office there. He didn't line people up that are going to take his side against their side. Do you know what they did? Do you know how wrong they did? And I mean, he didn't go into this whole self-justification of his life. He didn't try to build a case for himself. What do you do? He went and cast it and cried out to the Lord, putting it in the Lord's hands. He dispersed it. He gave it and cried out to the Lord. And I'll ask you the question again. What is your personal Mara this morning? What is Mara? Again, it's a place of bitter waters. What is that in your life that used to be sweet but has now become distasteful? It might be a physical mara. It might, it might be an emotional mara. It might have something to do with your job. It might have to be with a disappointment of something that didn't turn out the way that you had hoped it to be. I was talking to my son this week, and he was up for a, uh, a job promotion that he was really excited about, and he didn't get it. So let's shake it off. You know, Dad, won't encourage him. The fact that you were considered... Blah, 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 you're only 29, you know, you're way ahead of, shake it off. Send him a little money too, you know, that always helps things heal, right? <laughs> I don't know about you, but money always makes me feel better, so, if, you know, so I, you know, that was the dad thing, here, I'll cash up you, go to dinner, you know, kind of deal. Uh, so what do you do, what do you do, and what are you doing right now? You're at Mara. You're thirsty. You need the living water, but you're up against this bitter water, this thing that's become bitter. What do you do? Moses gave it to God, and he prayed, God, it's in your hands. He cried out to the Lord. Going and complaining to the folks that were coming against him didn't do any good. Telling other people, and that leads to the fifth thing, is let God reverse it. Don't curse it. Don't rehearse it. 
Don't nurse it. You disperse it. You give it to God. And fifthly, let God reverse it. Let God reverse the situation. You know who I thought of that was a classic example of this? Is Joseph. Not talking about Joseph in the New Testament. I'm talking about Joseph in Genesis 37 through 50. If you're not familiar with the story and life of Joseph, catch up and read the life of Joseph from Genesis 37 through the end of the book of Genesis in chapter 50. Remember Joseph? Joseph, if there's anybody in the Bible who had a right to be bitter, angry, resentful, disappointed, I mean, he had a dream as a young man. He was kind of his father's favorite, and that kind of caused issues and problems. His brothers didn't like didn't like him, dad's favorite, didn't like his dream. And what did they do? They threw him into a pit, and they were going to kill him. And they thought, hey, let's, you know, let's don't do that. Let's at least sell him. They thought that would be the more righteous decision. So let's sell him. And they sold him into slavery, and eventually he went into an individual's household, and he was accused of a sexual assault and put into jail. And the first 40 years of Joseph's life was all downhill. Forty years. God, I'm not here because of something I did. I'm here because of all the people that have systematically done me wrong and the people that I hung hope onto that I thought would help me get out of this situation. They forgot all about me the moment their life was a blessing. But later, if you know the story, and we're not going to hear to rehearse the whole story, he was delivered and he was put into a tremendous place of prominence over Egypt, second in command of Pharaoh. God took him, promoted him in a miraculous, mighty way. And later on, as he encountered his brothers, he had an opportunity to retaliate against his brothers. Situations have changed. The tables are turned. They came unknowingly at first to Joseph asking for help. There was a famine in, in the land and they came into Egypt to buy, buy some grain. And he had a chance to retaliate. And guess what? Most of us here would have said, you know what? They had it coming. Now, you know, it's so easy to turn Joseph into this, this super saint. You know what I mean by that? Meaning as if he didn't rehearse and nurse that pain in that prison cell every once in a while. Maybe a lot. Because if you read the story and you read it and you let it just kind of flow... You remember when he, kinda, when he went through this, when he didn't reveal it to him? Remember he put that that uh, dish or cup and uh, was it Benjamin's uh, bag? I mean, there's all this back and forth. I, listen, I think the guy was struggling at what to do. I think he was really wrestling with pure flesh hatred to these people. And they reached a point when they're back. He hasn't revealed who he is to his brothers that sold him into slavery. And finally, he reaches a point, he tells everybody to get out. Read it. And the Bible says, paraphrasing, that there was a, that there was a cry 
from Joseph that went throughout the palace. That wasn't a little, you know, you guys, you guys really hurt my feelings. You guys really, I, I, I'm just really offended. It wasn't that kind of cry. You know what I think happened in that cry? I think something was broken. And when he said the verse in chapter 50, verse 20, one of the greatest verses in Scripture, when he said, but as for you, and I'm paraphrasing here, you rotten, scoundreling brothers, you meant evil against me. You're not Calvinists trying to help the sovereignty of God by doing evil. No, 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 no. You meant evil against me. That was your only motive. You did evil because you're evil. But. 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 But God. What hinges you and I from falling off the emotional cliff of life is when we, and I believe with all my heart, what Joseph said here was pure revelation of God that came in a delivering brokenness. When he said these words, these were as inspired by the Holy Spirit as any other word or comma in, the, in Scripture when he said, but God meant it for good. Now we kind of have these, you know, we have these stories and these cartoons of Joseph or whatever. But think about it. Think about a young boy in that culture being sold into slavery. I'll let you think with me a bit. But I don't think it would be too far to stretch at what could have happened to a young man being sold into slavery that was now their property to do with whatever they wanted to do, to be put in one of these prisons. You talk about a real victim, and some of you have been victimized in horrible, evil trauma. Only God could have snapped and reversed that situation. Because I think Joseph, if he was left to himself, those guys wouldn't have lasted through the night but God meant it for good in order to bring about bring it about as it is this day to save many people what is he saying you meant it for evil but God trumped your evil actions by his sovereign purposes God had a bigger plan and you and your sin were unwittingly a part of that plan but for, for an evil purpose now fast forward to Acts chapter 2. That is exactly what the Apostle uh, Peter says when he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, when he opens up that Pentecost day sermon and says that you, you evil men, put this Jesus on the cross. You did it. You're evil. You're wicked. God used your evil wickedness because the next verse and the next line says, for God had ordained it. Ahead of time. You see, God is bigger than your bad. God is bigger than your mess. God is bigger than the worst evil perpetrated in your life. God wants to give you a divine revelation that reverses 
the curse and the evil that you've been dealing with and struggling with, nursing, God wants to break that. And I don't think that Joseph was overpowered in making that decision. Guess what? He used his brain, reason, and will to say, I'm going to make this choice. I'm going to acknowledge God, and I'm going to give glory to God. And I'm not going to allow those brothers to victimize me anymore. Because do you really think that if he wiped them out, if he had destroyed them, if he had murdered them, if he had just watched every one of them, you know, the Bible, uh, not the Bible, the Bible doesn't say anything about this. Uh, I read that uh, uh, Sodom Hussein would often have his enemies videotaped that he could watch them being tortured and murdered. Do you really think that if Joseph had committed revenge on it, do you really think he would have slept better the next night? Do you really think that would have solved anything? It wouldn't have solved anything. It would have dug and made the foothold of the enemy in his life that much more entrenched and deeper Perhaps a point of no return. But he chose to see God in his disappointment. And that's a challenge for us. And that's the good news of the gospel. Is that when disappointments come into our life, when the maras of bitter experiences, don't curse it, don't rehearse it, don't nurse it. Let God... Reverse it. But I want to show you one thing real quickly. Chapter 15, verse 25. So God cried out to the Lord. So he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him what? The Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute, an ordinance. The Lord showed him a tree. It doesn't say God created a tree. The Lord showed him a tree. Guess what? That tree was always there. That tree became the answer to the healing and cleansing of those bitter waters. The tree, the answer, has always been in front of you. And God showed him. The solution, the answer to our disappointments are often right in front of us or around the corner. And so, the last, and I won't belabor this, thirdly, the great shortages in life are often followed by fullness. What do I mean by that? Verse 27, it says, Then they came to Elam where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Now Sinai, the wilderness, the desert they were in, is miles and miles of barren wilderness and desert. And if you were to look and see how far Elam was, this place that they came to that was like this, this watered oasis with palm trees, I mean, God brought them to Palm Springs. Can you believe that? All right, now... All right, cheap joke. All right, but how far, how far was 
Elam, the place of abundance and fullness, from the Merah, the place of bitter waters. If you get out a map, you'll see that Elam was only five miles from the place of bitter waters. Sometimes the place of God's fullness is so close, but we're just ready to give up. We're ready to give up. We're ready to abandon ship. The healing of, of the Merah bitter waters, the place of well watered and palm trees for shade was just around the corner. Here's the simple lesson. Guys, we often give up too soon. We throw in the towel. We quit when the answer may just be a few miles away. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's interesting that God's solution to the bitter waters, to the Merah, was a piece of wood. I don't know what it was in that wood, but Moses obeyed, and there's a lot of places in the Bible the Lord asks you to do some, you're like, okay. The Lord healed the bitter waters with a piece of wood. 2,000 years later, 2,000 years ago, the Lord brought healing of our bitter waters with another piece of wood. The wood of the cross that Jesus Christ came to give of His life. Experience disappointment, heartache, bitterness, persecute, you name it. You name it. You, you complain to him. He'll just say, yep, yep, been there, been there, been there. You don't have anything over on me. So just as the wood and Moses brought healing, God has provided his son who knew no sin to become sin that we might be healed from the bitterness, the ravages of sin. You've been disappointed Yes. Have I been disappointed? Yes. Will you be disappointed again? Yes. Will I be disappointed again? Yes. So what do you do? What are you going to do? God is here speaking to your hearts today. Through the Word, through the Spirit. And God is providing a place where you say, look, the, the, the solution is right in front of you. It's right around the corner. Don't give up. Don't underestimate my power in your life. Don't underestimate what I can do in that family situation. Don't underestimate how I can turn that situation in that person's heart that you say is impossible. It'll never be like this. There'll never be reconciliation. God says, just watch. But what do we do? What do we do in the meantime? It says... Back in that verse, if we could go back to the, gen the last verse I used in Genesis. 27, sorry, verse 27. 
Do we not have verse 27? Genesis, I'm sorry, Exodus, I'm sorry, Exodus 15, 27. Do we not have that? They came to Elam. What did they do? They kept going. They kept going. This may not be really, this may not make every day a Friday for you. This may not be the all be all. But here, here's just the simple truth. Keep going. Don't give up. That's what perseverance is. What does James 1 say? Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Because that trials become a test that results in your persevering. And what is perseverance? That is the stick to That you're not going to give up. You may give up on that person in the sense you put it in God's hands and that whatever scenario, but you're trusting and saying, God, I believe that your hand is upon my life. And guess what? If I take things in my own hands and start retaliating, guess what? God cannot bless you. God cannot bless you with that kind of heart. You're saying, God, I release it into your hands. I release this pain, this disappointment, but I'm going to keep going because I know and believe that there's an Elam where there's living water, palm trees of shade where I can rest my heart. I believe that your, clo- your answer is close and I'm not going to give up. I'm not gonna, I may give up on the situation, but I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to give up on you because, God, I know that you love me. I know that you called me even when I was the worst sinner. I know that you have your hand upon me. I know, Romans 8, 28, that, God, you will work and are working all things together. He didn't say I'm all, that all things are good. It says you work all things together for my good. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to cast my lot with you, God. So every time I get in the mix, I mess it up and make it worse. Let's pray. Father, this morning, whether it's great or small, God, we all have areas in our life that order disappointments. Areas where people have disappointed us. Areas where people have failed us. People have used us, abused us, taken for granted. But Lord, as we go through that list, you experience every one of those things. That's why we can come to you as one who knows intimately the pain of our heart. Lord, I pray that if we're stuck at the bitter waters of Merah, we won't pitch tent at Merah. We won't build a condo at Merah and say, well, this is as good as it gets. I'm just going to have to deal with it. It says they went to Elam. They kept going. Because within a few miles... They experienced the fullness of the living water. Help your flock not to give up. To not to give up, especially give up 
when the answer is just around the corner. Help us to recognize that these disappointments can become divine appointments. Where if we allow you, you can meet us in those divine appointments. Because God, you knew it would happen. You knew what would take place. You knew it all in advance. And maybe you even warned me, but I did what I wanted to do. Because I know more than you do. And yet, you bring me back. And so God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to let you handle this. But I refuse to nurse this thing. I refuse anymore to rehearse it. To play it out in living 3D color. And I'm going to do what the Son of God said. Bless those who hate you. Pray for those that hate you. Bless those that hate you. Lord, I I have no control over other people. But I can control my choices and decisions. I can choose what to do right now at Merah. I don't want to go back to Egypt. That's not an option. So maybe just drinking bitter water, well, that's just my cross to bear in the Christian life. Just drink, drinking bitter water. No. God has called me to keep going, to persevere, to not give up, to look to Him and to trust Him. That regardless of what changes or transpires, the Bible says, as much as it is up to you, you be at peace with all people. So Lord, the choices that need to be made, I can't, choose, can't make the choices for that person. I wish they could. I wish I could. But I can choose. And Lord, maybe there's some here that need kind of that breaking moment of God's intervention like Joseph where in the midst of his struggle of a deep rooted heartache victim, pain, abuse God you broke that thing wide open and he saw your hand James 1 says James 1.13 says that God can't use and is not does not use evil to manipulate people or even use evil but God we know that you allow sinful choices just like with your son you allow sinful choices of people but you're never held hostage by their choices that God your purposes and your plan is bigger and greater Your ways are higher than our ways. So Father, may the revelation of Your grace and forgiveness break the chains that have held me bound by the pain of this disappointment. Break it open that I can see that Your hand never left me never forsook me and will never ever for all through eternity never abandon me Lord help me to see 
your divine appointment in my disappointments. Let's stand to our feet as we close this morning.